Good morning. How's everyone doing? Man, it's so good to be back. We missed two Sundays in a row, and I was so tired of not being here. I'm glad to see everyone. We had a fantastic uh, vacation with our family. Uh, we took a cruise to Alaska. It was awesome. Um, uh, highly recommend it. <laughs> uh, it was a good, good chance to get away as a family and really celebrate. Uh, so thank you for letting us be, be gone. Uh, the, the messages were great. Cynthia last week uh, was super good, right? Uh, telling the story of the, the woman with the issue of blood. And then the week before was, uh, was Bobby Strahan, um, right? Yeah, see, I, I'm still on the cruise ship, so that's what's going on. Uh, so yeah, it was really good too, and so uh, thanks for letting uh, me spend time with my family. Uh, wasn't that an awesome testimony that Kelly shared about? So just, just in case anyone's confused, I was not in the operating room. They won't let me back there. What happened was, is that she was experiencing fear, and the Lord met her where she was and showed her what she needed to see. It just happened to be me in that moment. And, and whether or not it was an angel that took on my form, or whether or not it was just some drugs, the Lord, <laughs> the Lord let me be there with her. Isn't that cool? She called me like a few days later and goes, were you in the operating room? I was like, I don't think so. What do you mean? And she told me the story. I was like, that was the Lord giving you what you needed in that moment. Isn't that so cool? He is so good. Um, we are in the middle of a series. We do this every summer. I think this is like our seventh summer where we do This Is My Story. About half the time, you hear the stories, the testimonies of your church family, people in your church. Next week, we're going to have Noah Henson, who is the area FCA director uh, and a partner here at VFC. He's going to share his story. It's going to be great. Um, I will be leaving once again for South Africa, um, going with a team uh, to go minister in our sister churches over there. Uh, that my, my mom's leading the team. They're going to ordain some new ministers. It's going to be awesome. So I can't wait to go there. Uh, you'll be in good hands. Uh, and, uh, and then about every other week, I'll share a story from someone in Scripture and, uh, and then you'll hear from people in the church. And so we love this series every summer. Don't worry, you're not, if you've not already been asked to tell your story, you will not be asked this was planned way in advance, okay? Um, and so, look, here's the deal. Your life is a story. It has a beginning, an end, a setting, characters, uh, the rise and fall of action in your life. Your life is like a story. Uh, every day is a story, and you, you are writing it through your decisions. And people are reading your story. People are watching you live your life and reading it like it's a novel. Your story is history. Look, if, if you've got a, a past, like most of us do, some things that you're not proud of, guess what? It's history. It's history. It is under the blood. It is forgiven. He has not only forgiven you, he has cleansed you from your sin if you have asked him. And so you should not be afraid of telling your story. It can be powerful. It's history. It's also ministry. It, the things that you have gone through, the Lord has now uniquely gifted you to share that with other people. And so your story, although it's history, can be ministry. It's also prophecy. Uh, you, because you've gone through certain things, you can help people and prophesy their destiny as they go through the same thing. 
Your story is victory. The scripture says in the book of Revelation that they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So the victory that you have over the enemy comes from your story. And then also your story is incomplete. It's not over yet. You may not be where you want to be yet, but you're still writing, right? You're still writing your story. So I encourage you guys, this is a really important aspect of the Christian life is telling our story. Today, I'm going to talk to you um, uh, about uh, the lame man at the beautiful gate. And I've entitled this message, What Are You Looking At? And that'll make sense in a little bit after I tell the story. What are you looking at? But we're, we're talking about the lame man uh, at the beautiful gate. Now, let me just kind of give you some background before we get to the text. Uh, Pentecost had just happened, right? Jesus has died. He's risen again. The disciples were gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes and just ignites them uh, with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first sermon is preached. 3,000 people get saved. Things are rocking and rolling. The church is, is beginning beginning to meet both at the temple and in homes. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome what's going on. So the setting of today's story is the second temple in Jerusalem. Now, you, you may know from, from Jewish history that Solomon built the first temple. It was rebuilt a little bit later on after it was destroyed. Uh, and then, um, not about 20 years before Jesus started his ministry, Herod built this massive, massive um, upgrade to the Jewish temple. This building was incredible. So much so that there's a scene where Jesus and his disciples are looking at the building and the disciples are like, check this out, Jesus. Isn't this incredible? He's like, yeah, it is. But it's not going to be here much longer. Of course, we know, according to history, that prediction by Jesus came true. It was almost like he's the son of God. This was a massive building. As I was studying for it, uh, one of the things I read said that it was 16 football fields long, which I think is hilarious that as Americans, we have to measure distance by football fields. The rest of the world is like, have you heard of the metric system? It's easy. The math is simple. We're like, football fields. I need to see this in football fields. Why? Because it's yards. I know what a yard is. Well, what is a yard? Well, it's, it's three feet. Okay, whose foot? Your foot? No. A random measurement we call feet. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Like, we, like, I, want, it's, I feel like we'll do anything to avoid the metric system. It's like, uh, like, I want to know how many gorilla thumbs this car is, how long it is. How many eyebrows is this? Whatever it takes to avoid the metric system. Anyway, 16 football fields. Long. It is massive, 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 massive. It was destroyed by the Romans 40 years after Jesus' resurrection. There were outer courts where there's lots of buying and selling. The Gentiles were allowed there, the non-Jews. Then there were inner courts where only Jews were allowed. There was the women's court, the court of the Israelites, the court of priests. You can read all about this, look at models and stuff like that. But there was a gate that led from the women's court to the inner court called Nicanor, the Nicanor Gate. Here is a, a model of the Nicanor Gate. Uh, most scholars believe that this is the beautiful gate. 
that is talked about in today's story. Um, because it was made of uh, valuable and beautiful Corinthian bronze. There were 15 steps, you can see the bottom of them in this picture, that led up to the beautiful gate where the priests, the Levites, would stand and sing uh, praises to God. And then you would see in the women's court that was just outside of this, lots of dancing and praising. And it was, it was really, I'm sure, a spectacle to behold. This was because of that, this was one of the most popular games to use to, to walk into um, the, the, the Israelite, the court of the Israelites. This is our scene. This is the gate, massive gate. Everyone, everyone knew about this gate. Many, many, many people every day would pass through this gate. So we go to Acts chapter 3, 1 through 16, where we read our story. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. I'm reading in the New Living Translation. Um, some of your translations will say the ninth hour. You want to know how to count time in Hebrew? All right, they'll say the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the twelfth hour. You start at 6 a.m. and then you just add whatever they said. So the ninth hour is three in the afternoon. Are you with me? All right, it's kind of like military time. And so the ninth hour is three in the afternoon. So they're going to a prayer meeting in three, three in the afternoon. Verse two, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Uh, we find out later on, by the way, at the end of chapter four, that he'd been lame for 40 years. So this man's around 40 years old. He'd never been able to walk. Verse 2 still, it says, Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, that's the Nicanor gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When, Peter, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Now, this is, what, this, is this guy's life. Right? This guy's life consists of asking people for money. He, he had probably, we, knew, we know this from history, he'd probably been granted permission by, by the, the temple priests to, they, they would investigate, make sure someone really had real needs, and then they would allow them to beg in certain specific places. This guy had scored the beautiful game. And they usually would wear a cloak of some sort that would say, hey, this is an official, uh, officially designated person that you can give to because it's a very real need. So he sees Peter and John about to enter, and he just, he does what he always does. He asks for money. Verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Which means that when he saw Peter and John before, he just kind of saw them. He wasn't really looking at them, right? He said, alms, alms for the poor. And so Peter goes, hey, hey, look, look at us. Look at us. And so the man looks, looks at him. Uh, verse, uh, verse four, Peter and John looked at him intently and said, look at us. Verse five, the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Verse seven, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up as he did. As he helped him up, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now, I, I, this message this morning is not about physical healing. 
But I find it very interesting. Just two things I want to I point out. Notice Peter didn't pray for the man. Do you notice that? He didn't say, here, let's gather around and put, put our hands on Lord, we just thank you for this man at the beautiful gate. We pray, God, that you would strengthen his legs. Uh, if it be your will, Father, that you would heal him. He, Peter didn't do that. What did he do? He said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He spoke to the situation. Why do you think Peter did that? Because that's what Jesus did. You'll never see Jesus, all right, let's just gather around and pray. He always speaks to the condition. That's why you'll often see us do that here at VFC. Because we're just doing what Jesus did. We don't heal anyone. Jesus is the healer. So let's do it the way he says to, right? The second thing that's interesting in this particular healing is that notice when the healing comes. It's not when Peter speaks, but it's when he actually lifts him up. At that point is when his ankles and his feet are made whole. It's when there is action that corresponds with the spoken word. Isn't that interesting? That's why, by the way, if you've ever noticed when we pray for healing, we say, okay, test it out. Try to do something you couldn't do before. Why do we do that? Because that's what we see in the Bible. And we figure that's what we should do. So just so you know, uh, that, that's a really interesting tidbit about the healing that happened here. But we're gonna keep going. So he went into the temple with them and all of the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Verse 11, they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade. This is an area kind of to the side that's covered where a lot of people would meet and have Bible studies and talk and discuss things. So they immediately went uh, out to, Sol uh, to Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. I bet he was. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Peter saw this opportunity. Ooh, He saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what's so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk on our own power or godliness? For it, is the, for it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. Despite Pilate's decision to release him, you rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. That was Barabbas. You killed the author of life. Goodness, Peter. He's getting on him. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Wow. So Peter takes this opportunity to preach a little bit. We find out later, just we're not going to read the whole thing. It continues all the way through the end of chapter 4. Just so you know, Peter and John are arrested because religion doesn't like the power of God. 
The total number of Christians grows that day. Remember, 3,000 had just gotten saved at Pentecost. 2,000 get saved here, which means now the total count of new Christians in just a short, short amount of time is 5,000 men, only men. They're numbering conventions. Sorry, ladies. Back then was to count the guys only. So you could probably double that if you counted, at least double it if you count men, if you count women and children. So Peter and John, you can read about this in Acts 4. They stand up to the Jewish council. Peter is feisty, man. They are salty. I love it. They're like, you want us to stop preaching about Jesus? Should I obey you or God? What do you think? I mean, that's what he says. It's really funny. And so they release him because there's nothing to do because they just healed the dude. Why, what are they going to say? Stop helping people. The believers get back together, they pray for boldness, and the Holy Spirit shakes the meeting room, is what it says. He, he baptizes them in his Holy Spirit again. They're filled with the Spirit, they're filled with boldness, and they continue on. What an awesome story, right? I was reading this story about three or four weeks ago, just in personal devotional time, and, and I, I saw something I'd never seen before that I want to share with you guys. I actually shared it with our staff at staff meeting that morning. Have you ever been driving? And while you're driving, you look at something and you're looking at it. And next thing you know, you've drifted towards that thing and you've crossed the center line. Now, some of y'all just lied to me. Stop it. All right. I know you've done that. You're like, no, I've never done such a thing. We <laughs> When, uh, when we were in Alaska this, this last week, uh, we went to Juneau and we had, um, we had an excursion uh, that had been planned, but it got canceled. And so I was like, well, what are we going to do? So we ended up, they, there was a group there that rented out Jeeps and they gave you, it was like a self-guided tour where you could like listen to someone. It told you where to drive and someone's talking to you through the speakers of the car. It was pretty cool. Uh, so we turned it off and put on music. Uh, and then just went exploring, and I found myself, because my kids love to make fun of my driving, although I'm far better than they are, uh, and, and I, I found myself, though, the, the scenery was just so beautiful, I'm looking at that, and next thing I know, I'm drifting a little bit, right? I'm drifting a little bit. Guys, you know it's the same with your life in general? It's not, it's not just in, in driving. Where you're looking will lead you to your next location, where you're looking will lead you to your next location. Lord, why have I been drifting for your presence, from your presence? Where are you looking? Because your body will follow your eyes. And so I began to notice as I read this story that there was a lot in it, I don't know if you picked up on it when I just read it, about where people were looking and what they saw. So I want to go back through this story. I want to point out to you four things that people were looking at during this story. Where was everyone looking? Where were their eyes? What were they paying attention to? Let's look at the first one. Verse, uh, uh, verse four, it says, Peter and John looked at him, the beggar, looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. You know, the first thing uh, that, that I've noticed here and where they were looking, what they were looking at, is that Peter and John were looking at one of God's children and they saw a need. You know how easy it is 
to see someone, maybe a homeless person, maybe someone who's, a, who's acting a little weird, and, 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 and you, you see them, and maybe they're asking for money or for food, and you just go, and I'm going over here, right? Or, or just to act like you don't see them, <laughs> and just, uh, I don't see you, you don't exist. How many times had this guy experienced that? People are going to the temple, they're going to worship, they're going to do whatever they do. And people had gotten used, he'd been there for 40 years. Everyone knew this guy. How many times had he been overlooked? How many times, and, and the best religion could do is say, well, you can ask for help. We'll, we'll allow you to ask for help. There was no power though, until the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus' followers. And then Peter and John could no longer pass by someone in need and not offer them help. I love that. Instead, I imagine, I imagine it was kind of a surprise to Peter and John. I imagine that they were just going to go about their daily business. They had done this all the time. They had they'd passed by this man hundreds of times. But this time, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, instead of just walking by, they stopped and they looked. He said, look at me. I'm not content to allow this problem to continue. I see this man not as just a beggar, not as just someone who's sick, someone with problems, but I see this as a child of God. I see him as someone who Jesus has given good gifts to, and I am going to be the one to administer those good gifts. I love that. I love that. Guys, this is what we're called to. James chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. says, suppose you see your brother or sister has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself, verse 17, isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. Woo. Guys, our faith in Christ, if not demonstrated, is pointless to the dying world around us. You know Christian songs? You go to church? Good for you. No one cares. They don't care. They don't care. It's, it's like, I love this example. It's like you're walking down downtown Thomasville. It's cold. We're having a cold snap that one time of year. <laughs> Someone's in like a tank top with holes in it. And he's like, hey, hey, uh, I'm really cold. Could you help? <laughs> Stay warm, brother. <laughs> Just keep walking. That's weird. Especially, could you imagine if you had that guy's size shirt in your car and you didn't give it to him? You have the solution to the world's sin problem, hopelessness problem, the solution to their pain and shame. Jesus lives in you. And you're not going to give him away to someone that you're passing by? I, I love that Peter and John stopped. They saw him as a child of God. Guys, this man was not a Jesus follower. Not at this point. Not yet. It would have been so easy for Peter and John to say, you know, this guy's not one of us. He doesn't believe in Jesus. 
But I love their perspective. We don't fight against unbelievers. We fight for them. We fight for them. Look, in this super divisive time that we're in, in our country, don't buy into the lie, into that us versus them mentality. Sure, are there people you disagree with? Of course, it's fine to disagree with them. But don't ever think that that gives you permission to stop sharing the love of Jesus with them. Non-Christians are just potential Christians. And that's how we have to see them, amen? Here's another thing, uh, a, a thing that people were looking at here. Verse five, it says, the lame man, this is after Peter and John said, look at us. They saw him and they said, look at us. Verse five, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. So the beggar was looking for relief, not life change. He was looking for relief, not life change. What was his main problem? He couldn't walk. What did he want? Money. Think about that. That's not the right solution, is it? Money can certainly provide some relief because he couldn't work, right, and he had to be carried over. I mean, money was, it's not that money wasn't helpful, but it actually didn't solve the problem. He just, he wanted relief. How many times do we come to Jesus and we just want relief? We don't want life change. I'll never forget my dad told me this years and years ago when he was pastor here with my mom. He goes, you know, he was just considering probably a ministry engagement he had just been to. He goes, you know, one of the hardest things about ministry is figuring out who wants relief and who wants change. That's always stuck with me. I've always remembered that when he said it to me. Because sometimes people just want to talk to the pastor. People just want to talk to you and and they just want a little relief, but they're not willing to make the decisions. They're not willing to grow up to get different different results in their life. But but, but what Jesus has done for us is he's given us the opportunity to, to mature and to grow up and to not just get relief, but to get change. First Peter 2, 1 through 3. This is the guy, by the way, that healed the beggar, writing to us. He says this, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow, grow into a full experience of salvation. So if you can have a full experience of salvation, that means you can have a partial experience of salvation. I think, I think I know a lot of people like that. Oh, they're going to heaven, but life right now is pretty bad. They only have a partial experience of the salvation that Jesus has paid for. So that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment, verse three, now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. We don't just need relief from our problems. We need life change so that we can experience the maturity and the newness of life Jesus has paid for. Guys, Christian maturity is not about improving who we are, but discovering who he is. It's not relief, just getting a little bit better. No, it's, it's emptying ourselves so that he can live in us and through us. 
Focusing on your problem will never lead you into God's promise. God's got a promise for everything that you can face in this life. But we need, it's not about relief, it's about change, right? He is the solution. Too many of us, we, need, we have lameness. And instead of healing our lameness, we think we need money <laughs> or something else, right? We need to look to a different solution. Here's another one, verses eight through 10. This is after Peter says, you know, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk, walking and leaping and praising God. Where did he go? He went to the temple. He could have run home and told mom and dad. He could have run home and did something else. I mean, he had some running to do because he could, you know, for the first time. But where did he go? He went to the temple. And all the people saw him walking and heard him doing what? Praising God. Praising God. And when they realized it was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Here's another place people were looking. The healed man, once he was healed, he began to look at God. He began to worship God. This is, this is why we pray for healing, by the way. And not just, uh, I'll be praying for you. Believe me, that's easier. That'd be a lot easier for us to do as a congregation, but we take time on a regular basis to pray for healing, don't we? We do. Why? Well, because it causes people to look at God. When we see God heal, then it causes worship. It, 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 the wonders of God lead to the worship of God. Romans fifteen nineteen, the apostle Paul says this. They, lost people, were convinced about Jesus by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit in this way. In what way? Signs, wonders, miracles. I have fully presented the good news of Christ. Fully presented the good news of Christ. Look, does everyone get healed that we pray for? No. But we rejoice over those that do. And we, and we, and we, 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 we make sure that we're praying for people for physical healing. Emotional, mental as well. But we, we make sure we do this. Why? Because it's the pattern we see in Scripture and we want God to get the glory. It's demonstration, not instruction, that will turn Jesus from stranger to Savior in people's lives. Demonstration. Not, I'm not saying there's not a need for instruction. But I'm saying it's demonstration that introduces people to Jesus. It took a miracle, not a lecture. It was a miracle, not a lecture, that caused this guy to go into the temple and praise God. We can't lecture people into the kingdom. What if we relied on the power of the Spirit instead of the power of persuasion to lead people to Jesus? You don't have to convince someone when they used to not be able to walk, and now they can. You don't have to convince them to follow Jesus. They're following him. And this is why we make space for this. Guys, we can't just talk about the kingdom. We have to walk out the kingdom. I encourage you. I encourage you. Get bold with your prayers. As soon as someone did it this morning, they said, yeah, I'm struggling. This is, I said, let's pray right now. I encourage you to do it. Well, what if I don't see what I want? Well, what if you do? I mean, it just, you always continue to pray. Always, it's not you, it's God. 
Always continue to pray. Let's look at this last verse here of where people were looking. Verse 12, so the man's healed, walking and leaping and praising God, and a crowd gathers. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, what's so surprising about this and why stare at us? Here we go, there's the looking. Why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Here's another place that people tend to look sometimes. They were being tempted to look to leaders instead of the Lord. They were being tempted, after this amazing miracle, they were being tempted to look at leaders instead of the Lord. Guys, leaders are just people. They're just people. I'm a pastor. The difference between me and someone who's not a pastor is just that I've been called to pastor. I didn't score the highest on the Jesus test. I probably slept in and missed it. I was just, I, like, seriously, I need you to get this. I, I, there is an authority and stuff that comes with pastoring. I'm not saying there isn't. But I'm saying myself, Tim, Cynthia, she's with her family this weekend. Eric, he's with the youth this weekend. We're pastors, and we've been called to pastor, but we're just also just people. And, and we're not perfect. And, and, and I encourage you, never, never Try to get from a person what you can only get from the Lord. Amen. It, it'll, it'll, it'll break your heart because every single one of us is fallible. You've heard people, I put on my pants one leg at a time. I don't know why putting on pants is what we use to say that. <laughs> Instead of shirts, I put on my shirt a certain way. But the point is, the point is we're just people. Look, look at what Hebrews 13, 7 says. Remember your leaders who've taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of faith. You don't follow their personal preferences, their personality. You don't have to wear plaid, guys. <laughs> right? Except when it's planned. Like you don't, like you, right? You don't have to listen to the music I like. You don't, you don't have to uh, agree, even agree with every single thing. What does it say? It says, follow your leader's example of faith and don't ever look to a person to give you what only God can give you. And, and, and Peter squashed that real quick. He goes, hey, don't look at us like that. At one point, Paul is traveling and, and a miracle happens. He goes, hey, hey, look, look. They begin to worship him. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, stand up. No, I'm just a dude. But let me tell you about Jesus, <laughs> right? We need to make sure that our eyes don't get pointed onto a person instead of our Savior. Guys, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Maybe you find yourself like Peter and John, and maybe you've been passing by needs every day in your life. And even right now, as I say that, you think of coworkers and family members, and you've written them off because you've gotten tired of them. But what if you stopped and you said, hey, look at me. Let me tell you about Jesus. Maybe you're like the beggar. Maybe you're looking for a solution that's not really the solution you need. Maybe you're just looking for relief instead of change, right? Maybe 
maybe it's time for you to begin to look at God again. Like when the, when the, when the lame man was healed, all of a sudden his eyes are on Jesus. Maybe it's time to be thankful for what God has done in the past so that you can see God in your future and, and bring your eyes back to where he is. Or maybe, like the crowd, you've gotten your eyes off of the Lord and onto a leader. Here's how you know. I, I subscribe to a lot of like um, magazines and, and websites and stuff for pastors every day there's an article that's released about a pastor who's failed somehow. Had an affair, stolen money, said something stupid. And it, it gets, it, I have to not look at it anymore because it gets so disheartening. But I have to remind myself, for every one that did that, there's hundreds that didn't. Right? And so, and, and, and so it's important. Maybe though you've gotten, you stopped looking at the Lord, you've started looking at leaders. Don't do that. What are you looking at? Let's stand for prayer. Let's take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit the question I asked you. Close your eyes. Ask the Holy Spirit in this moment, what am I looking at? Holy Spirit, what am I looking at? Am I looking to you? Am I looking at everything that's wrong in this world? Am I looking for relief instead of life change? Have I stopped looking to worship the Lord? Am I looking to people? instead of you, God. Where are you this morning, guys? Maybe you've never seen Jesus for the Savior that he is. Maybe you've never made him Lord of your life. Maybe you've been to church, that's great. But that's not what gets someone saved. Maybe you need to make a commitment to him. and Say, you know what, Lord, I, I belong to you. From this day forward, I belong to you. As a matter of fact, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you that question. I want you to be bold. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, if you've never turned your life over to him, I just want you to identify yourself by raising your hand. I'll give you instructions later. We're not going to embarrass you or anything like that, but I want every single one of you to know that you know that you know that you belong to him. Anyone at all, just raise your hand high so I can see you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I want to lead you in a prayer, guys, where we allow the Lord to change what we're looking at. If you will, pray this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I look to you, the author and finisher of my faith. I fix my eyes on you. Don't let me pass by who need your touch. Don't let me pass by the people that need to hear from you. Lord, help me not fight against unbelievers, but fight for them. 
Help me not to look for relief, but for life change. Help me to be a worshiper and help me to look to you, not just to leaders. I recognize, Lord, that where I'm looking will lead me to my location. So I look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Val, will you close us?